Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it has power. Lord, I thank you already for what you've done today. I thank you that we get to worship you. Jesus, I pray with all my heart that you would build this church and that we would, in a sense, partner with you. We would get out of the way and let you do what you want to do. Can we just agree with that for a moment? Father, I pray, even as leaders, Jesus, you build the church. And as a church, as a house, as this house, we say, Holy Spirit, may we get out of the way. And may you do what only you can do. God's people said, Amen. That is our heart. So, we've been in faith for a few weeks now. I'm not sure if we're closing it up this week. That's up to whoever preaches next week. I won't be here. But Hebrews 11, we've been trying to go through a little bit of Hebrews 11. Faith is something that, as I said in the past, is something that can be very harmful to some people in terms of their history and their hurts and their disappointments. And I, I might touch on some of that today. But faith is often not what people think. It's so much more than just an incredible ability to believe. It's so much more than that. And faith is based in the unseen realm. The Bible says by faith, we believe that everything that we see was created by that which is not seen. And mostly the opposite of faith is fear, which is we'll get into today. But faith, friends, it's incredibly important. Faith comes to a person's heart. It doesn't come, and I'm not talking about saving faith for a person to get saved, but faith builds. Faith doesn't come from effort. It comes from surrender. There's a big difference. It comes from surrender. But you cannot surrender if you don't know that he's good. It's difficult to surrender to a person you don't trust. And faith comes from surrender, a surrendered heart. Complete trust and reliance. Faith comes from what you've seen in the unseen realm. Maybe not with your eyes, but in your heart, in the word, and by revelation into your heart. You see something which, in a sense, you cannot see. And some people have various spiritual gifts, and they do see open eye. They do see into that realm, and that's awesome. But faith is based on God himself. We always say faith comes from hearing, because that's what the word said. But faith is based on God. Why is faith based on God? Because it's not so much what he says, but who said it. So what happens is there's a relationship that develops. God, throughout eternity, throughout since the beginning of earth to now, through all the different covenants we have in the Bible, and there's many of them, all the stuff that we have, God has constantly tried to reach out to man for the purpose of relationship and communication. Constantly. Reaching out, I want to speak to you. I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to have a relationship with you. He desires a relationship with every person in this room. But like any relationship, it can grow cold. Like any relationship, it can become extremely intimate. Like any relationship, it can become superficial. We all have friends, <laughs> let's be honest, that it's just superficial. There's no substance. Small talk. There's nothing there in the heart. Many believers have a relationship like that with the Lord. They can go to church. And Faith knows God, knows him. What is eternal life? The Bible defines eternal life in John 17, chapter 3. It says eternal life is to know him and Jesus Christ whom he sent. 
Eternal life is to know the Father. Eternal life is to know him. The word know there is the same word that it uses in the Greek in the Old Testament Septuagint where it says Adam knew Eve. Talking about sexual transmission. It's the deepest form of intimacy that we can have in a sense between two people. And the Bible says eternal life is to know God in a very close, intimate, personal fellowship way. Yet throughout history, people have tried to formulate a relationship with God. Well, when I approach God, I do this, and I say this, and I stand like this, and I do this, and it's not real relationship. If I treat people the way most people treat God, I wouldn't know that person at all. Faith knows God. It knows Him. It's a big difference to some religious thing. And that's why it comes from surrender. Galatians 5, can I be real with you and honest? Last week I struggled a little bit. Sometimes uh, you feel like you make things more complicated when you're trying to make them simple. But all I was trying to say last week is that there's something called faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Galatians 5 says that we wait eagerly for the hope of righteousness by faith. So there's a lot of Christianese there. Faith, righteousness, hope, and wait. It's a lot of Christianese. What it's saying is that we wait, we wait eagerly. There's an expectation of good. Yet we're waiting. What are we waiting for? For the hope of righteousness by faith in that one day when we stand before God, will Jesus Christ's cross be enough? It's a big question. When you stand before God, yes, the Bible says his cross is rescued from your sin in this present evil age because there's two ages. The Bible speaks of this present evil age and the age to come. When we stand before God one day, will the righteousness that we have now, based on Christ's work on your behalf, it's actually good news, yeah? It's actually quite scandalously good. Christ was righteous on your behalf. You believe in him, you are declared righteous. It's a good deal. Okay? That's what starts to happen. That's why it's not about religious works, and all of that will come, in a sense, as God works in your heart. But we wait eagerly by faith, by faith, based on the unseen, what we cannot see. By faith, we wait eagerly with hope. What does hope mean? Expectation of? Good. Where does hope, how does hope enter a human heart? The presence of God. Hebrews 6 says that hope is the anchor of our soul. What is our soul? Our will, our emotions, and our mind, our intellect. That's what your soul is made up. For hope to rise in a human heart, it requires a person to be found in his presence. Hebrews 6 says hope, the anchor of the soul, is found behind the veil, speaking about the most holy place. When a person begins to discover and begins to find who God really is, really, really, really is the real God, the living God. Hope begins to rise in their heart. The first hope that begins to rise in their heart is that one day you will stand before the Father and you will be declared righteous. And you know it by faith. Only by faith. You know it. I know it by faith. That Jesus is enough. And you know that by faith. Then the gospel starts to work in your heart. Oh, and it's interesting. Because then you realize, well, I want that, and Jesus wants that. This is a yoke. Okay? This is a yoke. Very interesting that, you know, they have the, the wooden poles that go underneath, and you put two cattle in here. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 11? He said, come to me, all who are weary. Matthew 11:28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Who is he talking to? He's talking to Jewish people. He's talking to Hebrew people. You know the rest that he was speaking about? 
He was speaking about, come to me, you are heavy laden. Heavy laden by what? The burden of the law that the Pharisees, the scribes, and the lawyers, and Sadducees put on people. It's the, the heaviness to live up to something. You know that that's what he's talking about. He's saying, I'm here now. I'm here to create a new covenant. These people are continually putting on you burdens that you cannot lift. Come to me. Come to me. He says this. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. So many people think that when he says that, take my yoke upon you, it's like, well, I'm going to yoke you into something. And it's like scary for some people. Why does he call it my yoke? Again, he's speaking to Hebrew people. They understood that in the Old Testament they used to yoke two creatures together. The one was strong and mature and stable and knew what he was doing. So they would take some young, you know, the young upstarts. Take them, put them in the yoke with this guy, and he would learn from him. This creature would learn from this creature. When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, he's not saying, I'm going to put something on you. He's saying, I'm already under here. It's my yoke because I'm in it. Take my yoke upon you. Become yoked to me. And the oppression and the heavy laden and the stuff will lift off your life. Because what happens is when we yoke ourselves to Christ, it's very interesting. You're like, you know, when you first get saved, you're like, okay. You're like, oh, this is easy. Because the one next to you is bristling with muscle and with power. He's already developed like a leather neck from the rubbing. He has substance. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to tread in mud or clay or up mountains or through storms or in rain. Nothing deters him. He's Jesus. And you get to go next to him and, he, and you're like, well, this is easy. And you ain't carrying nothing. And he looks at you in grace and he says, you're doing such a good job. That's what he's saying. Take my yoke upon you. You will grow in stature to be transformed into the image of Christ. Well, you will start to carry weight. Anything you call to by God, you know how you know it's him? Is that you can't do it unless you yoke to him. You cannot do it on your own. If you can do it on your own, it's not him. So what people, when the Bible says don't be unequally yoked, it's saying don't yoke with someone or with something or with debt or with whatever. Don't yoke with something that down the road it's going to go, want to go that way and you're going to want to go that way. Because when you get down that road and you're going to want to split paths, the one that's been winning the arguments all the way, don't expect that you're suddenly going to win it there. You are now going to go where they are going to take you. The Bible says you're a slave to whatever you obey. <laughs> what breaks the yoke? Isaiah chapter 10, the anointing breaks the yoke. Not the yoke of Christ, the yoke that the world and the enemy puts on us. The supernatural, the unseen realm, Christ means anointed one means the supernatural. Anointing means smear. If I smear Dwayne with peanut butter, I've anointed him with peanut butter. It's really that simple. The anointing, the supernatural, smeared on the natural, breaks the yoke in your life that is not from the Lord. You cannot go forward unless you're yoked to him. And we yoke ourselves to stuff too easily and too fast. And then when things don't work out, we say, well, but God did this and God... He's saying, no, you're not yoked to me. Imagine that little calf. You know, I want a, a distraction. 
This calf is focused, this, this bull is focused on destiny. This ox, destiny, he's distracted. So he goes, I want to, and the bull didn't even feel it. It's a little, like, dude, just stop, just chill. You know, and he's like thrashing about it. He's like, you'll calm down when eventually it hurts you enough. Sounds a lot like us. Take my yoke upon you. It's his because he's in it. Friends, why do I say this? Faith understands this. Faith understands this process because it's unseen. You can only walk into your destiny if you're yoked to Christ. You know that there will come a time that he will, in a sense, unyoke himself from you. Not in a salvation context. But we are given faith. People say, oh, God, oh, God, let this thing happen. Let, oh, God. And he says, he answers your prayer. People say, God doesn't, of course he does. But you know how he answers it? He gives you a seed. Sure, here we go. He gives you a seed. Everything you need, that answer, everything you're crying out for, everything you need is in the seed. Saying, there we go. It's, I give you, he gives you a whole handful of faith seeds. Oh, this thing that you want? Yeah, it's all in there. That massive tree is all in that little seed. It's all in there. But you've got to cultivate it and put it in a soil of a soft heart. And every time you're in his presence, the seed gets watered. That's how you water a seed in the spirit. It's his presence. And this thing starts to cultivate and starts to grow. Sometimes a person comes to you and lay hands on you like I did with this young man this morning. And his life will change. I know it. But lay hands on him and he gets given like a little tree instead of a seed. But whenever you are blessed with something that is not just at a seed, seed level, it's cost somebody something. Someone's cultivated that thing. And you get it through honor and inheritance. Friends, faith understands that sometimes the answers you are crying out for are given to you in seed form. And you get given a seed. He's like, sure, there we go. Why? Because if he gave you the whole tree, you have not yet learned to care for a tree, and the tree would die. So he gives you a seed. Because you learn to care for something as you grow while it grows. Anyone's ever farmed, you know what I'm talking about. Jesus understands this. So we cry out, and he says, yeah, sure, he has a seed. But there will come a time where he desires for you to become like a seed, where you have so grown and you yoke with him, you've so grown in stature and strength that he takes you and says, now I'm going to actually sow you as a seed into this region, into this country, into this family, into this church, into this place, and because you're there, it'll be different. So you still yoke to him in salvation, but then actually he pulls out and he says, all right, that's great. Let me bring some other young guy or some young whatever and they'll come and they'll learn from you. It's called discipleship. Faith understands this process and celebrates it, doesn't get offended because of it. Hebrews 11, the great chapter of faith. We're going to read all 22 while we're going to read to verse 22. We're just going to read almost the whole chapter. Can we do that? Amen. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. If you haven't been here the last two weeks, we've preached through a lot of this. I just, unfortunately, I'm just not going to recap it for the sake of time, except for this definition. Faith is substance, faith is evidence. 
Substance there is the word hypostasis. It means to stand under. I can stand under a circumstance that is not dictated by what I see, but what I do not see, even though what I see is contrary to what he said. I can stand under it and not be offended. That's what faith is. Okay. Faith is substance. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence. The word evidence is elecho. It actually means to bring things to light. Faith takes things from the unseen and brings them to light where they become actual evidence to your eyes. Like this building is an example. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand, you understand not with your intellect, but by faith in this kingdom. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. So that the things which were seen were not made out of things which are visible. You won't find that in a science textbook. But one day the science textbooks will fall and fail and Jesus will remain. That's a fact. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and though, though he being dead still speaks. That's the blood, of, the blood of Abel speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. Before he had this testimony that he pleased God. Because without faith, it is impossible to please him. Why? People read that and they think, well, I'm not pleasing God because I'm not a man of faith. That's a lie. Because if you say I'm not pleasing God, it means you believe that he exists, which means you do have faith. Friends, it's normal for a believer to have faith. It's normal. Stop selling yourself short. You have it. Nurture it. Let it grow. Let it develop. Until you can trust him for faith for the things that actually are contradictory to his will that are sitting right in front of you. Everything Jesus came to make a payment for, we are called to cancel. But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, verse 7, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed. So I think you're kind of getting the point that they did things practically in this, in this life based on something they couldn't see. They left, they built, they obeyed, they did stuff, they offered, they, everything they did, there was an action taken. Action. Faith is active. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he called to go out to the place he would receive as an inheritance. Let's actually rush over to verse 13. These all died in faith. We spoke about that last week. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, talking about Christ, were assured of them embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Friend, the father of faith, I'm just going to read you this, Abraham became so fixed and focused on what was to come one day that the way he saw this world began to change. He began to think things of things from heaven's perspective, to think from heaven down, not from earth up. I listen to many believers pray, and they pray from earth up. God has called us to be seated in heavenly places. That's where you are seated in the spirit now, right now, whether you know it or not. That's true. 
When you start to think like God thinks, when you start to see like he sees, because that's what faith is. Faith is a way of seeing. You think from heaven down, not from earth up. It's a big, big difference. What was Abraham's confession? He's the father of faith. Please understand, father of faith. He was a moon-worshipping, idol-worshipping, Iraqi man. That's where he lived. And God revealed himself, he believed, he was declared righteous, then God says leave. He didn't know where he was going. What became his confession of faith? It was not the promises that God had given him. Many people there, well, I'm just trusting God. Okay, but are you doing anything? Well, I'm, you know, I just, you know, God told me this, and I'm just believing for this. Listen, that, that's good. That's not a, please hear my heart, that's not bad. But the father of faith, his confession was the shift in his identity. His confession was, I am an alien and a stranger. I have seen something unseen. Because of what I've seen, it shifted everything about how I see myself. It shifted everything about how I make decisions, how I deal with money, how I deal with land, how I deal with my children, what I tell my children. Everything has shifted because of what I've seen, because it has put faith in my heart. So my confession is not, well, you know, we just trust in God. Our confession is, I'm not from here. And because I'm not from here, therefore I don't act and live like I'm from here. I act and live based on a realm that I cannot see. I make practical decisions here and now based on something that I cannot see. And I'm not talking about being weird and foolish. You know what I mean. When God puts it in your heart and it's real, then faith acts. Then faith speaks. And truly, if he had called to mind the country from which they had come out, they would have an opportunity to return. You know when I moved here, God gave me that verse. When you move a nation, it's extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult. Who's ever moved a nation? Okay, a bunch of people. It's extremely difficult. And the Lord took me to that verse. If you call to mind the country from where you've come from, an opportunity will arise for you to return. Don't think about it. Don't talk about it. Don't act like you're from there. You're here. Be here. The same is true of your spiritual walk. Don't live in the past. Live in the future. Live where you are. But now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son. Obviously, is a foreshadowment of Christ. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel. Friends, you want to talk about faith? How many years passed from when Joseph said, this is going to happen and you want you to take my bones with? 400 years. He saw something 400 years into the future. Today we get excited when a person can prophesy about something that's going to happen next week. All I'm saying is this man knew God. 400 years, he said, this will happen. When this happens, one day, take my bones with you. Into, and they did, 400 years later. Because he knew God. Why? Because he based his life and his decisions based on a realm that he cannot see. Am I making sense to you today? Glorious, wonderful, We're, this is good. Verse 23, this is what we're going to look at Moses. By faith, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents 
because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. This text on Moses, for the last few weeks, I've been dying to get into this. It's this text for the last, I would say, two years has transformed my life. And I've read it probably on a monthly basis. In the last couple of weeks, I've, I've read it every single day. And I, every time I read it, it just stirs me. We have to read it with this understanding. In the Old Testament, the natural, right? New Testament, the spiritual. Yes? Okay. Egypt in the Old Testament was Egypt. Egypt, when it's mentioned in the New Testament, is talking about the world, like when a person gets saved out of the world. Pharaoh was the master. The Bible says when you're born on the earth, there's a system of death. That's Egypt. That's the world. Pharaoh would either represent the, master of, the sin master, that's Romans 6, or the enemy himself. So it's, we're not just talking about Pharaoh in Egypt here. We're reading the, the Bible with a New Testament understanding. Okay? You're with me. So let's go read. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, they were not afraid. By faith, they were not afraid. Fear not the number one command in Scripture. Do not be afraid. It's repeated most out of any other command in Scripture. Do not be afraid. It comes by faith. It doesn't come by trying not to be afraid. It comes because you're grounded on something that Jesus has done for you and you've understood the finished work of Christ and you stand on that platform as a son and as a daughter and you're not afraid because you know your father. It comes by faith. By faith, we'll go back to that, very important. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Friends, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh being what? The enemy. When you're born, you are a child of the enemy, physically. When you get born again, you get taken from that domain, from his domain, into the kingdom of the son of his love, Colossians chapter 1. Friends, he refused to allow his identity. He refused to allow his identity to be claimed by Pharaoh's daughter. He said, my identity is now based in God. I'm his son, not theirs. You need to refuse to allow your sonship to be claimed by another. It takes a refusal. It takes a refuting. I refuse to let my sonship be defined by what I come out of. It's very, very important he refused. Learning that we are sons and daughters of an unseen kingdom comes by faith. It's very, very, very important, friends. That's your identity. He refused. It was a decision. It wasn't just, well, I just kind of waft into sonship. It was a decision. I will not be a son of that kingdom. I refuse it. That's a decision. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ of greater riches than treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. You know the number? He looked to the reward. And we don't like this concept in today. We're like, well, that's offensive to me. Friends, the most often mention of why people persevered in faith in the New Testament is because of reward. It just is. 
We don't like that. It's a fact. He rewards those who seek him. Not because they're earning something, but because they've placed trust in him and that he's good. By faith, this verse, this is what we're going to look at, then we'll be done. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. By faith, he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Friends, right here, this verse, this is the one that's undone me. Egypt, the world, the king, the devil. It's talking about Pharaoh, represents the enemy. By faith, he did not fear the wrath of the king. What I see today in the modern church is people that trust and have more faith in the devil's ability to attack them than in God to set free. People take a stand for truth and they're like, well, I'm going to take a stand for truth. Oh, be careful, the devil's going to attack you. By faith, he did not fear the wrath. He departed from Egypt. He forsook the world. That's Egypt. That's the world. That's salvation. I forsake the world and I have no fear the wrath of the devil because I'm a son in God's house. Friends, stop putting your faith in what the devil will do. He will attack you. But how you see that and how you deal with that depends on victory or no victory. We don't have time to go into it. I was going to go into it. But firstly, there's something of legacy here. I need you to see this. By faith, Moses' parents did not fear the command of the king. Friends, spiritual parents and natural parents model what faith looks like. There was something in Moses' legacy that he got from his parents. He did not fear the wrath of the enemy. Parents model what faith looks like. Parents model what believing looks like. There was a decree that was given, kill all the unborn children. There was a decree. There is a decree sometimes of an enemy's intention to steal, to steal, kill, and destroy over a person's life. It's like there's a decree over that person's life to destroy them. And it causes fear in our heart. And so therefore we have what we believe. I'm sorry to be harsh, but that's a fact. His parents did not fear the decree over their son's life. Because they did not fear the decree of the enemy over their son, he was free. To ever consider that Moses was the only one in that area of his age, the rest were killed. He was the only one that was his age. Jesus was the only one that was his age in that area, the rest were killed. Friends, he had something of legacy of not being afraid of the enemy. So when he grew up, he refused to allow his identity to be dictated by the world. He refused it. It was a decision. It was a process. Therefore, I refuse it. And I will not fear. I will not fear. No matter my understanding of spiritual warfare, I will not fear the wrath of the enemy because I stand for righteousness. I will not. I refuse to fear it. And so should you. He forsook the world. He forsook the world and did not fear the wrath of the king. I sometimes, in the past couple of weeks, I've just been going to sleep saying that in my head. He forsook the world and did not fear the wrath of the enemy. 
Friends, it says in Exodus 13, you can go read it, 13 or 14, we don't have time to go read it. It says, he did not lead them by the way of the Philistines for fear that when they saw war, they would become afraid and return to Egypt. He says, so he led them by the way of the Red Sea. God will only lead you into places where he has already equipped you for victory. If you find yourself at a place where you cannot win, either God has not led you there or you yoked to the wrong thing. So what happens is they get there to the Red Sea. The Bible says God led them to the Red Sea. They get to the Red Sea, and the Egyptians come. And so they become irrational, totally. Why, oh why, Moses, did you deal with us in such a way as to bring us out here to die because we couldn't dig our own graves in Egypt? Is that why you wanted us to be? I mean, it's, irra- it's stupid. Never mind that they were armed. They, had, they could afford. But there was a man of faith there. They all look into that. Because the enemy might attack. Did they win that fight by fighting? No. They won that fight by fixing their eyes on what was to come. There's an impossibility that lies before you. God will not lead you in any way, in such a way, that you will stand before something that you do not already contain the answer for. He led them to the Red Sea. He took them through the Red Sea. When we do not fear the wrath of the king, the wrath of the enemy, because we've forsaken the world, the enemy will drown in your victory. You have to understand that. They drowned in Israel's victory. They drowned in their promise. They drowned. They didn't fight. Don't be distracted by warfare. Sometimes warfare is required. If you stand in a position where warfare is required, you stand there because you're ready to fight. If you stand in a position where you're not ready to fight and warfare is required, look ahead. Look ahead. First two battles they fought, they did not fight, yet they won. The Red Sea and Jericho, they fought neither. They won both times. Because God fought for them. Because a forsaking of the world equips you to have no fear on what the enemy is going to do. People panic. And when they panic, what do they do? They blame leaders. Why are we here, Moses? Or they blame God. Do not fear the wrath of the enemy. You've left his world. Refuse to allow your identity to be changed and fixed. You are not a son of that world. Focus on what's ahead. Focus on what's to come. There will be some impossibilities, and sometimes there will be some attack. Most times, just pay them no attention. Please hear me. Why did they get set free? Let my people go that they may worship. Worship will defeat them every time. Now, I've said this before again, because when the enemy attacks and your response is worship, he will not partner with God to form you into the image of Jesus. He will not, so he will leave you alone. That's the one thing he will not do. They went into the desert to worship. They stood before the Red Sea, and the sea opened because, they did not, because one man did not fear the wrath of the king because he had it by legacy from his parents. Faith, friends, faith. Rahab is mentioned for faith. She was a prostitute. Samson is mentioned for faith. He slept with a prostitute. I'm not saying have faith and go to sleep with a prostitute. 
I'm not saying that. If that's what you heard, we've got more issues. <laughs> the point is, what's the point? The point is faith transcends what you think it transcends. Faith, friends. God, God is moved by faith. Sometimes we're not perfect people. But when there's faith, moves God. Regardless of your inadequacies and your flaws and your failures and your faults, I have many. It has become my confession that God is good. When I am forced to go through something that I do not understand, faith gives us the ability to stand under hypostasis, to stand under something that I don't understand, but without getting offended. Because it is my confession, God is good. God is good. God is good. And because he's good, I don't blame him for stuff he's not leading me to. If I'm finding there's a crisis or somewhere, he probably didn't lead me there. Because if he leads me anywhere, he's already equipped me with victory. We just got to go and find him in the secret place and say, friends, honestly, practically, look back six weeks. Look back two months when you face something. What is some of the stuff God has recently shown you? It's probably the answer for what you face. But we're like the Israelites. They kept forgetting what God did. Remind the children of Israel. Remind the children of Israel. Constantly remind. They kept forgetting. That's partly why you should journal. Because you can go and look back. What is the stuff God's been saying to me for the last three months? Because I'm facing something. Oh, he's already equipped me for this. I know how to deal with this. I'm not going to freak out. Oh, I'm not here because we couldn't dig graves in Egypt. I mean, that's ludicrous. They could have. I mean, it makes no sense. So we panic, and you have what you believe for. Because you believe more, and the enemy can attack than Christ to bring you through. By faith, he forsook Egypt, we'll close with this, not fearing the wrath of the king. Why? For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Faith. Seeing the unseen. Thinking, acting, living, breathing from heaven to earth, not from earth to heaven. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians attempting to do so were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they encircled for seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies. By faith, and then he goes on and on and on. Faith, faith, faith. Let it be your confession, not because it's mine, because it needs to be yours. That God is good. When you have a situation that you do not understand, John the Baptist was the one who said, Behold the Christ who takes away the sin of the world. Yes, we agree? Great, it's in the Bible. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He saw the dove come from heaven. The heavens open, the dove descend. He heard the voice, This is my son whom I love. He was there, big deal, okay? Big moment. He was there. He appointed it. He lived his life for that moment. There he is. That's the Messiah. Now I must decrease. He must increase. John the Baptist. I mean, John the Baptist. Big deal. John the Baptist. Now he's in prison. Matthew chapter 11. He sends his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, to Jesus to say, Are you the one who was to come? What? Why? Because in Luke 4, Jesus stood up. After that moment, Luke 4, Jesus stands up and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me 
to preach the good news to the poor, to heal the sick, to bind up the brokenhearted, to cleanse the lepers, to, the lame will walk, the blind will see, and he gives this list. I've come to set free those who are in prison. Where's John? Prison. It's his cousin. So John says, well, I'm, I mean, I mean, I'm here. We do that. So he sends his disciples, Go to, are you the one? Jesus responds to this, tell John, the blind see, the lame walk, the deaf hear, lepers are cleansed, the poor have the gospel. He repeats that list, he leaves one out. Prison. He goes back to John, never went to John. But as the disciples leave, what does he say about John? Blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Blessed means happy. Offended means stumbling block. Happy is the one who does not stumble because of me. <laughs> sometimes I don't understand, and sometimes I don't know. But because I know him, I know that nothing that his son came to pay for is from him. And when I don't understand, I'm not offended at him. Blessed is he who is not offended because of me when we don't think he should do what we think he should do. Amen? Faith. Faith, faith, faith. I encourage you, yoke yourself to Jesus Christ. Yoke yourself to him. Tie yourself to him. Hang on to him. When it's easy, love it. When it's difficult, he's lifted one foot. And he's like, let's see how they deal with this. You're like, oh my gosh, the weight. And he's like, okay, let's put it a little down. He desires for you to grow up into maturity. But he has never left you. And he has never abandoned you. Amen. Amen.